You're tuned into the Locked On Irish Podcast, your daily Notre Dame athletics podcast. Today's episode, we are discussing a Notre Dame commitment, a flip from the University of Southern California, which is just so sweet to hear. We're also going to talk with Brian Driscoll of Irish Breakdown, a part of Sports Illustrated. He has a ton of amazing stuff to talk to us about the final games of the season as we are currently in the bye week. Before we get to all that, though, folks, I am Joe DeLeon, former Division I college long snapper at the University of Rhode Island and a current NFL free agent joined by Ryan Roberts, director of scouting at NFL Draft Bible, as well as an NFL draft and college football analyst. Ryan, this commitment news that we received on Monday, and I know it sounds like we're getting this to you a little bit late, but we're recording this on Tuesday in reaction to something that happened on um, on Monday night. We, we get this commitment from Philip Riley, who was previously committed to Notre Dame, chooses to change his mind and switch to USC. He then again, through this wild ride, and, and Mike Singer had brought it up when he came on the show, he, he decommits from USC and comes right on back to Notre Dame, the six foot, 195-pound corner. It is just so fantastic, not only to get a four-star corner, but to get it from your rival, that makes it so much better. Oh, absolutely, man. And, uh, you know, in our interview with Brian Driscoll, he's going to talk about a little bit about, you know, beating USC in the recruiting trails if we're not going to be able to beat him on the field uh, this year. So really nice. And, I mean, to start out with, right, he's a guy that had committed before, he went through a decommitment process, and it, I think it does speak volumes to the, the the program in general, right? The winning ways that we're on, the consistency that we have we have started to over, undertake under Coach Kelly here over the last couple of years. That even when a player flips, we are still in the conversation because of the program that we that that it entails, right? So I, I think that it's a big big opportunity here to get Philip Riley back into the class. And on top of that, like right now, if you ask me what is one of the bigger weaknesses on the Notre Dame roster, talking about Tariq Bracey, Nick McLeod's a senior, Clarence Lewis is playing a ton as a three-star freshman, cornerback group in general is not incredibly strong. So grabbing a kid like Philip Riley in the, in, you know, down there in Florida, bring him up to South Bend, beating out USC – it's a huge deal. It absolutely is a huge deal because this kid is a physical press man corner, the kind of kid that we need, the kind of kid that needs to come in next year and needs to compete. Now, I'm not going to say that he's going to start early on in his career, but we need depth in that room. We need to figure out what the next step is because that's probably the weakness defensively right now is that our cornerback group in general, even at the top, isn't the best, and also the depth is not there right now. So adding a kid like Philip Riley – getting them back on board. It's absolutely a huge deal, not only for Notre Dame in the 2021 future season, but just in general, continuing to improve the depth of what is not an overly strong position right now for Notre Dame. It's ex it's extremely fantastic that you're going and grabbing this guy who is a four-star recruit to come back to Notre Dame, Notre Dame. And you talked about how this is not the biggest strength on the roster. That is now changes by adding Riley into the mix. And he talked about how he's a physical corner. He's on the taller side. Uh, the comp by Brandon Hoffman 
uh, Huffman rather on 24-7 sports has him as Chibodi Awuzie, which I can see that being a decent comp for him because Awuzie is a, a physical corner for the Dallas Cowboys. This is big, though. This is big to not only get a four-star recruit, but to flip back a guy that already wanted to come play at Notre Dame. Hopefully he doesn't decide to flip again for whatever reason if he's already shown an affinity for flipping. But Ryan, I would honestly say that getting a guy like this to change his mind right now with Notre Dame succeeding so much opens the door maybe for some other guys that had Notre Dame in their top fives or in their top threes to reconsider if any of the places that they're committed to, to say to themselves, ah, well, they're not doing so well right now. If, if those programs aren't doing so well, I want to go play for the Irish. Coach Kelly has, has still been reaching out to me. I want to go play for them. And I mean, moment, momentum in football is a real thing. And that's momentum, not only on the field, but off the field as a program. Winners, I mean, being a winning team, being a team that is the number two team in the country, being a playoff contending team, like that speaks volumes to your program. I think that the more success we'll probably see if Notre Dame continues this trend, maybe wins an ACC championship, maybe wins a national title. I think maybe the 20, uh, I guess it'd be 2022 recruiting class at that point, right? Like that would be probably where we really see the volume of how important this season is. But like you said, we're riding the wave right here. I really do like that Chibodia Wuzie comparison too, because from Riley's profile, such a big physical player, he could be a guy that maybe could fit in inside eventually, because we're also losing Sean Crawford this offseason, the six year senior safety. So nice, obviously a huge get. Like you said, let's ride the momentum here, getting close to signing day now. Now there's a couple of recruits out in Hawaii that are really hot on the Notre Dame trail right now. I'm not going to try to pronounce their names, but <laughs> if if this is a sign of things to come, if this is, hey, th this is the next step in Notre Dame recruiting and having a solid finish here, it's going to be an absolute wonderful thing, riding that momentum to the finish line. And I think that it sets up the next class even brighter Obviously, for being a winning program, being a historically traditional program that Notre Dame is, it's uh, it's obviously a huge get and a huge momentum builder for the recruiting process. Yeah, and also the other thing that comes into the equation here is maybe some guys that are undecided. There's a number of players, just quickly looking, a number of five-star players, Kamar Wheaton, who's a running back, and um, also Amika Egbuka, wide receiver. They're not really in the realm right now for Notre Dame. They're way outside of their top fives just based on projections. But you never know when they decide to make that decision, whenever signing day ends up being during this bizarre cycle. Maybe they decide to reconsider. Maybe they decide to think it over and maybe push Notre Dame into that top, top conversation because the programs that they were previously considering that they deemed being elite programs are just not doing as well as they thought they were. I mean, like LSU is a perfect example. Do you really want to go to LSU and them not perform as well as they previously looked? They, they don't look like a national champion um, right now based on the way that they're playing. Coming up, we are going to hear from Brian Driscoll of Irish Breakdown, part of Sports Illustrated. Before we get to that, though, folks, I want to share a message with you from our sponsor, that being Coors Light. These days, it seems like life forces us to be on all the time, but every now and then, it's important to stop and reset. That's why you need to reach for a beer like Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Do you ever feel like you have to be always on? Do you feel like you're constantly working and things are more and more hectic each day because of how things currently look, um, you know, maybe with your job or, or complications 
with anything going on. You always want that time to relax. That time to relax is so important. I know for me, having that time to relax and doing the right things to relax is what helped me is what helps me reset for the coming week. And what I love to do to reset is drink Coors Light if it's just hanging out and talking with my friends or if I'm just on my own watching football. I'm always going to be grabbing a Coors Light to do so. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's a crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Ryan, now... Do you have another message for our listeners? Absolutely. It's been several months now since I started to partake in Built Bar. Before we even got on the network, it's been my go-to protein bar for the longest time. It's even now a more improved recipe. The bar is even better than it was before. It comes in 18 amazing flavors, including both nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the flavors include caramel brownie. These are the new flavors. Cookies and cream. Cherry barcia. Lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp has a flu flavor for everyone. If you want to, if you're a traditionalist, you want to go back to the 12 original flavors. You can have flavors such as coconut almond, raspberry, German chocolate cake, peanut butter, banana, uh, banana bread, mint brownie, salted caramel, and the absolute goat of all protein bars, the peanut butter brownie, which is absolutely the best protein bar I've ever had. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy on the go. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for the keto diet. Some of the flavors, peanut butter, for instance, 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, and only 5 grams of sugar and 5 grams net, net carbs. Coconut almond, cherry barcia, cookies and cream, also delicious and also good for you as well. Built Bar has reset the promo code for this relaunch. You now have a free cooler with purchase on a limited time offer while the supplies last. So please take advantage of that deal. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. That's LOCKEDON, all caps. And you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Now joining the Locked On Irish podcast is Brian Driscoll of Irish Breakdown, the current publisher, former college coach. You can find him on Twitter at CoachD178. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time today to come on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, you'd think a bye week would I would mean I have a lot more time, but it seems like this is a busier week than, uh, <laughs> than, than game weeks tend to be. Right. When when you're in the media, you kind of assume that these bye weeks are the perfect time for a little vacation, but mm-hmm. I guess that's not really the case right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Brian, right now the big headline that's surrounding Notre Dame, and it was actually one that you reported on very early, is the injury to center Jarrett Patterson. What do you think this is going to mean for the center position specifically? How do you think things are going to shape out for these final three games of the regular season? 
Yeah, I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see see what they do. I mean, I, I think the big thing is number one is who starts, who replaces them. I mean, I wrote an article this this morning at IrishBreakdown.com where I, I said, you know, I think there's really three options. Number one is the easy one: you just slide Zeke Carell, who's the current backup, in, into uh, into that spot, and and that would make the most sense just from a pure depth chart standpoint. But you know, if they want to get a more veteran player, Josh Lugg has spent some time in practice at center, and he's sort of the sixth man, the next man in kind of thing. So do you? slide him at center there's some you know he started five games last year for Robert Hainsey right tackle played well there's some experience there but is he a temperament fit at center can he make the calls do you really want a six foot seven guy standing right in front of your six foot quarterback you know as a, as a former six foot quarterback myself tackles and guards never really bothered me but if I had a center that was just kind of right there it just it just it has a different feel to it and Ian books a six foot quarterback so that's got to be factored into and then to me, the most intriguing option is the one that I think is less likely, and that is the the possibility of move, moving Robert Hainsey to center, uh, and then sliding Josh Lug into right tackle. I think tackle would be a much more smooth transition for for Lug, and then Hainsey. You know, it, there's not a guy that's going to have a better uh, feel on what the calls are. You know, what's happening, the twists, the stunts, all the different things, leadership, all the things that you're losing with Jared Patterson, because the this you know it's like I, I say like this like there's you can lose a quarterback or you can lose a running back, right? And if they're both great players, they both sting, but. Losing a quarterback hurts more because the quarterback, number one, touches the ball on every play. Well, the only other person that touches the ball on every play is the center, right? The quarterback has to communicate. He has to make line calls. He has to make checks. He has to make audibles. Well, that's what the center does for the line. So you're not just losing a talented player. You're losing a key part of your of your communication uh, process when with the offensive line. And and I think that might be the concern with just sliding Zeke Carell in there. Is he prepared to handle that? Or can you put him in there and maybe have Tommy Kramer make some of those calls? You know, well, now you're now affecting two positions. So there's just so much that goes into it. I think some people just think, well, I lose a guy, just next man in. Well, it's not that simple, especially when you lose a center because of, like I said, it's not just put the next talented guard in. There's a lot more to playing center than there is to other positions just from a before the snap is even – even made standpoint. Mm -hmm. And Brian, I wanted to ask, obviously the, you know, obviously there's a starting point here, right? We need to figure out who's going to be that next man. in. what's the reshuffling going to look like the offensive success this year, the ability to run the football at such a high rate with Kyra Williams and Chris Tyree mixed in Sebo Flemingster. And then you have the, the offensive line giving such a great job in pass protection to help Ian book to be, to kind of play the way that he plays you talked about the reshuffling and figuring out what it's going to look like. What's the long-term impact now coming out of the bye week, going down the stretch in a hopeful ACC championship game and a hopeful playoff run now? Well, the impact is that that you're, you're now Notre Dame is experiencing what they've experienced at other positions like wide receiver, and then they're experiencing what every other team is going through right now. You know I mean? Uh, you know, Clemson played against Notre Dame without not only Trevor Lawrence, but Tyler Davis and James Skolski and Mike Jones. I mean, this is the part of the year where where you lose players. You know, I mean, that's just football. You're not going to go through a year and, and just have your 22 starters healthy. So uh, if anything, you could argue that this is coming at the perfect time because it is a bye week. You do have an 
extra few days to say, hey, look, let's get Zeke Corral some work. Let's see how he handles it. Let's throw, you know, throw him to the, you know, throw him into the to the lion's den, so to speak, and see if he sinks or swims. You know, and I just kind of use a couple different metaphors. I just butchered together there, but that's kind of what you do. And if he can handle it, then you you roll into game week with him, or you say, hey, you know what, he's not quite ready yet. Let's let's get him some extra work, but let's get Josh Lug ready, or let's get Robert Hainsey ready, or whatever the case may be. Uh, and Colin Grunhard would have been an option for me to consider had he not. He's been kind of banged up all year, so um, you know. So I, I think it's coming at the right time. But for Notre Dame long term, it's about look, make it work, right? I mean, that's what you have to do, make it work. Jason Adamiola didn't play against BC. Okay, next man in, right? You you do have to have that mentality, even though it's a little bit more complicated at center. You do have to do it. I mean, you, if Notre Dame loses a couple games, as oh, it's because we lost Jared Patterson. No, no, that's that's. I mean. That's not happening, right? You've got to you've got to handle that. You've got to deal with it. It's what every team is going through. Uh, I think that's why you recruit talent every year. You know, you don't want just five talented offensive linemen. You need nine. You need ten. You need eleven. Uh, and they have that. I mean, that, that no one can say, well, they don't have talented options, right? It's just uncertainty. And once they figure that out, then I, I think they'll be able to, to roll. And and the benefit too is whoever takes over at center is going to have four really talented, really big really experienced players around him. So it's not like you you have a mediocre line and you just lost your stud, right? It's not like the 2012 offensive line losing Zach Martin where there's a big drop-off between Zach Martin, Chris Watt, and everybody else they had. This is a this is a line where you've got five NFL players. And so now you only have four NFL players. Or or your fifth guy's a future NFL player, but he's, you know, a younger guy, for example, you know, whatever the case may be. So they should be fine. And I think if anything, we could say this is really coming at the perfect time because you do get the bye week. And let's be honest, the next three defenses that they're playing are not exactly the 85 Bears. <laughs> right. So uh the, it, it again, it's it would have been much worse had it happened before Clemson or even before BC. Uh, but it's happening when you're getting ready to play some defenses. I mean, we you guys watched North Carolina this weekend, right? I'm sure you watched them against Virginia Tech. This is a defense that Notre Dame should be able to score 35 points on with their backups. I mean, let's be honest about it. Now you've got one backup you have to try to score 40 some points with, and you know, they should be able to do it. In a few minutes, you'll hear the remainder of this interview with Brian Driscoll. talking here with Brian Driscoll of Irish Breakdown, continuing this conversation on the Notre Dame offense. What do you think is the biggest reason why they're doing so well offensively and why they might be able to continue that momentum towards these final games? I think there's two reasons for me. And, and look, I'm a, I'm a former coach, and I like to look at these things from a coaching standpoint. And, and I think that what we're seeing is, a, is some maturity from Tommy Reese. We're seeing some growth from Tommy Reese. We're seeing some mistakes that Tommy Reese, Tommy Reese made early in the year that he's not making now. For example, uh, one of the criticisms I've had of Notre Dame all year is they would look really good early in the game, first 15 or plays or so when they're on the script. They would a lot of different motions and shifts and personnel groupings. But then once they get off the script, the, you know, the script is basically the first 10 to 15 plays that you kind of work on throughout the week. You know you're going to run those. They're already kind of charted. And so it's a lot easier to get, okay, we're going to go 11 personnel this play and 13 that play, and we're going to motion to this. But then once you get off that script and it's now kind of just you're going off your gut, you're going off your feel, you're going off the adjustments that you kind of make on the fly between series, you can kind of lose that. And you can kind of get, you know, kind of stuck into your tendencies. And that's what would happen with Notre Dame. And so what I liked was against Boston College, we saw a little bit of it against Clemson, but against more so against Boston College is you started seeing Tommy Reese maintain that level of diversity within his play calling, his formations, his schemes 
after the first quarter, you know, and we saw Notre Dame doing more things to attack where the defense is weak, where it was before. It's just, we're, this is our plays. We're going to run our plays, you know. So, for example, we haven't seen Notre Dame attack the middle of the field with the pass game a whole lot this year. Well, they're being two post routes against Clemson and then against against Boston College. You know, they had the bootleg where they took it was a great call early to get uh, Avery Davis free because you knew they were playing the run. Then I think a play or two later, you put you go in an empty set. You put Kyron Williams, who had a thousand yards as a receiver during one season in high school. He was a receiver before he was a running back. You ISO him against a linebacker over the middle of the field on a deep end cut. I mean, those are things we haven't seen a whole lot from. You know, third and 10, you drop back, you bring a deep end cut from Avery Davis. Ian Book stays in the pocket, reads it. And based on what I saw watching the film, that was like his third option. You know, so so that was a big part of it too. So coaching-wise, you're now seeing more diversity, more flexibility, and, and you're seeing it carrying deeper into games, which is part of that maturity that Tom Maurice is making as a first-year coordinator. The second part of it is simple. You have to have great quarterback play to, to compete for national championships. And I've been a huge critic of Ian Book for most of his career, deservedly so. But the last two games, he's playing like you need a quarterback to play to go out and beat Clemson, to go out and beat those teams. And I thought he was good against Clemson. I caught a lot of flack because I didn't give him an A grade against Clemson because I said, look, you fumble into the end zone. There were some missed calls, some misreads. That's part of it. He played good enough to win, but you know, it, there's a, n- another level. Well, against BC – that was the level that I was talking about. You know, we're seeing him go through progressions. We're seeing him take what the defense is giving him. And instead of locking into, I'm throwing to Javon McKinley on this route, we saw him going through his reads, hitting that second option, hitting that third option. You know, take, just dump. I mean, the, the, a great example was just that slide route. He hits Sebo Flemister. He catches it, runs 26 yards. That's about as, I mean, that's stealing. That's, that's easy yards. And when teams are so worried about your tight ends and your receivers, throw that ball. And so we're seeing Ian Book much more confident. We're seeing Ian Book getting rid of the ball on time. We're seeing Ian Book throw receivers open. All the things that I said he needed to do, was capable of doing, but wasn't doing for the last year and a half, he's now doing, and you're seeing what can happen. And then when you add, when you add a confident Ian Book with the line, the running back talent, the skill talent, because as I said earlier in the year, they don't have a receiver talent problem. I think there's other receivers they still should be playing, you know, as part of a 10 to 12 snap per game rotation, but they had talent at receiver and tight end. It was just the trigger man's got to get the ball there. And now the trigger man's getting the ball there and he's making plays with his legs. And when you do that and you have talent around it, you're going to be a really hard team to beat, especially in the ACC, which is not a league known. It's not the big 12 by any stretch of imagination, but it's not exactly a league known for great NFL talent on the defensive side of the ball. Brian, we need, we need to talk about Clemson for a second because obviously the huge victory, 47-40, to double overtime, an absolute thriller. That's been what has been missing mm-hmm. over the last few years, right? The ability to beat one of those teams. Obviously, DJ Uyunglele is playing in place of Trevor Lawrence. Now people are obviously – the three-game stretch, you don't want to overlook them too much, but people are already talking about the rematch potentially ACC championship game. Uh, I need to ask, Trevor Lawrence is back under center for the Tigers – do they have a chance to beat Clemson at full strength? Absolutely. And, and here's the thing. Now, first of all, like you said, you, you need to worry about North Carolina and Wake Forest first if you're Notre Dame because those are two good football teams. And the biggest thing is, and the reason teams like that scare me more than a team like Boston College, I predicted Notre Dame to beat BC by 20. They were up 22 and got a garbage touchdown late. The game went exactly how I thought it was going to go. Uh, you know, the teams, the reason North Carolina and Wake Forest scare me is because as we've seen with Clemson, 
you know, who was the team that beat Clemson in 2016? It wasn't, it wasn't a 17 to 14 game. It was a 40 something to 40 something game when Pitt beat him in 2016. You know, when Ole Miss beat Alabama, they were shootouts that if you're going to upset uh, when Purdue and, and Iowa both beat Ohio state, they scored in the forties and fifties, right? That's how upsets happen in college football today. Well, North Carolina and Wake Forest both showed they're capable of getting to a shootout where if you turn the ball over three times against North Carolina, like you did against Boston college, you can find yourself getting beat. But Notre Dame's going to get that rematch against Clemson because they'd have to lose twice not to get it. And and then, of course, or Clemson would have to lose. So let's just look ahead to that Clemson game and assume that Notre Dame handles its business. Here, here's the thing that I've compared it to. I, I've used this comparison, and I don't think it's quite sinking in with people the way that I want it to. Is, so I'm going to try it again. I'm going to explain it. This That game reminded me a lot of the 2005 Notre Dame-USC game, where this time Notre Dame was USC, And Clemson was Notre Dame. And here's what I mean by that. I don't know if Clemson could have played a whole lot better that game than they did with their current personnel. Now, when they add Trevor Lawrence to the mix, they can play better. But here's the difference. In 2005, Notre Dame played as well as they could have played. USC made a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes. I remember Matt Leinert throwing that interception that got tipped and Chinadum and Dukeway picked it off in the end zone. They had some big mistakes that you're not used to that USC team making. They were banged up and, and, and they were sloppy. But they still won because they had the better team. Well, when I look at the Notre Dame game, I see a, a drop on on you know the, the one yard line that would have gone for touchdown. That wasn't Clemson making a play. That was Michael Mayer dropping the ball. I see a fourth and one false start. That wasn't Clemson making a play. You could say that the linebacker made a play on the on the fumble by Ian Book, but Ian Book's got to protect that ball better. You know that's another. I mean, right there, that's fifteen points we're talking about. You know, where where Notre Dame and, and and then you talk about how they mishandled the clock at the end of the first half where they should have got another 10 yards. That's on the field goal. We're talking 18 points. And so my point about that game was Notre Dame did not play anywhere close to its best football against Clemson. They played hard. They played physical. They competed. They 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 handled adversity. But from an execution standpoint, that wasn't Notre Dame's best game anywhere close. And so there's another level to get to. So when people say, well, they're going to have Trevor Lawrence and, and how are you going to handle that? You, you needed overtime to beat them last time. Well, true, but there wasn't a whole lot of film on what the offense was going to look like with DJ quarterback, you know, and, 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 and the other part of it too, is you don't know how other players would have handled Trevor being in there. I think other guys stepped up their game knowing they had to, because the young player was in there. So um, Notre Dame has another level. Am I saying they're going to beat Clemson next time? No, I'm not saying that. I mean, Clemson's a champion. They're, they're going to battle and it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a dog fight just like it was last last time with this assumption that well you know you got your win just take your loss next time and hopefully it's competitive enough to you can get a playoff spot I don't buy that and I don't think this Notre Dame football team is going to buy that and have that mentality because they're going to watch the film and say look how many missed tackles we had on defense you know that's what they're going to say I mean if Jeremiah Wusu makes a tackle on one of Clemson's touchdown drives it's a third and nine instead of a 28 yard gain that sets up a touchdown so there were so many missed opportunities that weren't about Clemson making plays but Notre Dame not doing what they need to do and what they've done for most of the season that you can say, hey, we clean up our game, guys. We're still the better football team. I don't care who they have a quarterback. And if Ian Book plays against Clemson like he's played against Boston College on Saturday, then I think Notre Dame can go toe-to-toe with anybody. So, Brian, thank you again for coming on today's show, today's episode of Locked on Irish. Where can people find the rest of your work and anything else that you'd like like to plug? 
Well, we've expanded our, our content package now. Obviously, the, the main site is irishbreakdown.com. So obviously, we're affiliated with, with SI, Sports Illustrated. You can find all of our website stuff there. We do have a premium package there, but a lot of our stuff is for free for right now. Uh, we've also just created a YouTube channel. So if you go look up Irish Breakdown on YouTube, you'll see that we're kind of starting that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we have our own podcast as well. Uh, I would encourage you to listen to both your guys' podcast plus ours, the Irish Breakdown podcast. And so right now we are um, on iTunes, but we're in the process of, you know, trying to work out some things with uh, a company to, to we might be we might be having some changes there, but it will still be the Irish Breakdown podcast. So if you just look website, YouTube, iTunes, you find Irish Breakdown, you're going to find our stuff. And I really appreciate you guys having me on today and letting me talk Notre Dame football and let me uh, let me talk about our site, which I think is really growing. We've been super busy the last couple of weeks. We, you know, a lot of interest with Notre Dame uh, winning games. I'm sure you guys are seeing the after effects of that too. But, you know, I think we we provide great analysis of, of what Notre Dame is doing, what needs to happen. Of course, recruiting. This is going to be a big week recruiting. It's already been a big week. They got Philip Riley uh, back in the class. And, you know, they can't beat USC on the field this year. So when they beat USC on a recruiting trail, it makes it a little extra sweet. You know, uh, and, and so to get Philip Riley back in the class, I think we're going to have some more recruiting news coming up this week. So uh, no, no, no rest for me this week. The football team may be resting a little bit this week, but unfortunately, um, I won't be resting a whole lot this week. That's all we have for you today on today's Locked on Irish podcast. Make sure you go and hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on every single episode of our daily Notre Dame Athletics podcast. Please also follow us on social media at Joe DeLeon, at Rise, the letter N draft for Ryan, and also at Locked on Irish. Coming up on Thursday's episode, you're going to get to hear a conversation with former Notre Dame quarterback Malik Zaire. Uh, also, so stay tuned for that episode. And also, if you're looking for something else to tune into right now and you're done with this show, Head on over to Locked On NBA for more amazing content surrounding the NBA draft. We'll see you tomorrow, folks.